0: Hey, good evening, guys. Uh, Welcome to another edition of the I Am Hope podcast. Uh, Tonight, we've got an amazing guest in Kalia. Uh, Really looking forward to um, sharing her story um, with you. And uh, it's a story that I came across uh, possibly about five, six months ago now and um, been dying to get her on um, to have a chat about it, um, especially um, her early years and some of the journey that she went through. Um, So, but before we jump into that, um, just the usual, Uh, If you are out there and you are um, struggling or if you do get triggered by any of the messages that do come from this podcast, um, please remember we do have helplines that you can contact um, at the end of this podcast. Um, All the numbers will be there for you to reach out. Um, And obviously you can um, reach out to myself, um, I am Hope, or if there's anything you want to ask Kali, I'm pretty sure she'll be more than happy to answer any of your questions um, later on. So, Other than that, uh, first of all, um, Kalia, welcome to the I'm Hope podcast. Thanks so much for uh, making time and um, sacrificing um, your early night um, to to jump on for us. So um, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: No worries. Cool. I mean, um, first of all, um, like before we get into the um, juicy parts of your your journey and story, can you just share a little bit about um, where you're from and maybe where you've been brought up?
1: Uh, yep. So, um, yeah, my name's Kalia. I was brought up in Nui, actually, which a lot of people don't know where it is. It's a little town in the middle of the North Island in the King Country near Mount Ruapehu. So that's where I was actually born in Auckland. Um, Mum and Dad, I spent the first three years of my life in Manga but Tomoranui has been home because that was for 16 years of my life. Yeah,
0: wow. That's awesome. That's, that's, I've, I've been there too, like a few times. I, I remember, uh, you know, when they got that McDonald's here, it was like the best thing ever.
1: It wasn't there when I was there. No.
0: <laughs> that's that's one thing I remember. And I got into trouble down there too, So, but we won't talk oh. about that. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, so... You were born in Auckland and then you guys just kind of shifted down there and then what what was it like being brought up in a in a town like that?
1: Um I get I mean, yeah, I was a country kid. Like that's what I and I still am a country girl at heart. Um, we're kinda of different from city girls, I guess. We don't mind about getting in, getting dirty, kind of thing, and yeah, rolling with it. Um I don't know what it would have been like brought up in a city so for me it was just normal mum and dad moved to wellington actually when i was i think i was 16 and a half 17 and i hated it yeah so (laughs) going from a small town that was home to then yeah wellington i hated that
0: yeah yeah i love
1: auckland
0: (laughs) yeah that that that's a good thing i I, i've lived in wellington too for a little bit and i think wellington's a good kind of place to stay for a little bit but i wouldn't i mean just my personal opinion i wouldn't settle there so (laughs) but um no that's cool so did you so you did all your schooling down there as well
1: Um, i did all my primary school schooling at Tauraki Primary, and then yep. I was actually sent to boarding school, so I went to boarding school at Hamilton Girls High, so oh, I was sent to live in the hostel there
2: hmm.
1: um, until my fifth form year, it was, um, and then I was sent home, and I went to a Christian school um, at home that had just started um, because my sister went there and thought it was good, and so, yeah, I got sent yep. there. Um, yep. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so... Would you say, like, there was a huge difference in, like, obviously going to boarding school in Hamilton? Um, did a lot of things change for you when you went there? Like, in terms of, you know, going from Nui and then all of a sudden you find yourself at
1: Hamilton Girls? Um, I actually loved boarding school. Loved yep. it. It was where I got to learn independence. Um, I got to play my sport. I got involved with the youth group. Um. Hmm. Yeah, I loved boarding school, um, because a lot of us who were at boarding school were actually country kids.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm.
1: okay so cool. we all kind of got along, and yeah, in the hostel.
0: Yeah. Um, a lot of
1: us were all from small towns.
0: Mm. And, and I guess you pretty much like become family real quick, because that's pretty much all you kind of got, you know, uh, you know, inside the inside the hostel.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You learn pretty fast. Um, how to sleep <laughs> with yeah. everyone else around because you yeah. share a room with one other person, but across the doorway is two other people, and then across the wall that there's no walls to the top; they're just like open, like partitions, and wow. that's the whole third and fourth floor, uh, third yeah. and fourth form. And then once you got to fifth form, you were then into a room of four girls. Oh so, wow! Yeah, yeah
0: it's crazy okay and then so what what were some of the um i guess did you have any challenges um leaving there and going to the to the new school
1: yeah i had heaps of challenges (laughs) Um, so my little sister actually started at um boarding school with me but she got herself in trouble and she won't mind me saying this because it, yeah, she got herself in trouble and that was the reason she didn't stay at boarding yeah. school. And then, yeah, mum and dad were heavily involved in the church and with the new Christian school starting up, yeah. that was why they thought it was good for us kids to go to. Um, yeah, no, I hated it
0: yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's different for everyone i guess so totally totally get it and i can understand that there probably would have been a massive um shift and 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 changes going from boarding school to uh christian school you know yeah, yeah. and i i just know from you know speaking to a lot of people that have been in through similar experiences it's not always doesn't always end up that well so <laughs>
1: No, I hated it particularly because I, I mean, it was only a small Christian school and it was run through the church and it was done through what they call ACE, which is Accelerated Christian Education. Yeah. So it's kind of correspondence um, and you were set up with your partitions, like a little desk and it had partitions around it. I got in trouble for talking to the boy next to me. Um, wow. I mean, it was a co-ed school and stuff, but even to ask questions and everything else, it was so strict. But, um, I think there was only probably about twenty kids there to start with when I went. So for me, that was a massive transition to go mm-hmm. through. I loved my schoolwork. Don't get me yeah. wrong i I did eleven subjects in a year. Um, right. So school to me was really cool. Like I loved studying. I loved that kind of side of it. But the social interaction, yeah, actually, well,
0: was so. So they just kind of stopped you from talking to uh, like the opposite sex kind of thing or was that just um, a rule? Real-
1: oh, it was just a rule like because you were all in the church hall and you all had your desks and there were partitions either side of it mm. and if you were m- meant to be learning <laughs> you were meant to be learning and because it's yeah. all independent learning so you're working on your oh. own what they mother- ace, and yeah, you're not meant to talk and I remember that was my first ever detention was there <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think everyone remembers their first attention. Hey?
1: Yeah, but at sixteen, man, I got through primary school. I got through morning oh, school. Everything. That's pretty. It. That's
0: pretty good. You know, sixteen. I I won't say when I got my first one, but yeah. Anyways, so um, obviously after you um, you, you gone to Christian school. Did you did you finish there? Like, did you finish another two years, or what happened from there? No,
1: so mum and dad moved to Wellington. So I actually only ended up at the Christian school. It might have been, I actually can't remember how long it was that we were there, um, but mum and dad moved to Wellington. Dad got a new job, so everyone moved down to Wellington. So yeah, I was 16 and a half when they moved to Wellington, and I didn't go back to school. Oh, um, wow. My sister did. Um, I finished my year out through the ACE, but doing it at home. Mm. So I only finished my year, it's equivalent of year 11 here. So fifth form. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah.
1: Through that. Um, year 11, year 12, I think it is. Yeah, something equivalent because it's all Australian based, so it's slightly different. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I finished the year and then that was it. And then yeah. I ended up getting a job.
0: Yeah. And 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 so so how did so where did the journey take you from there?
1: Um so from there I went in um my first job was a nanny. Um so I looked after two kids and then I was selling tele, uh, doing telemarketing
2: yeah.
1: um in the evenings, selling timeshare. <laughs> um and then looking after the kids when the parents came in for the timeshare shows and yeah. then from there I went and got a job as a dental assistant. Mm. Um and did that loved that job. Um, my boss was just really cool. And then I saw an opportunity. I didn't want to go to university. Um, I felt I didn't want a student loan. That was one of my biggest things. Mm-hmm. I didn't want a student loan. Mum and dad earned too much for me to get anything anyway. Um, so I decided to go and join the air force.
0: Oh wow. Um.
1: So went and did all the testing and everything else um, yeah. and got accepted to the New Zealand Air Force as a medic.
0: Yeah. So so what, So, what? how do you go from um, like dental assistant to the Air Force? Like, how, can you just break that <laughs> down for me? Because I, I don't know how you got there. Um,
1: as a dental assistant... Um, I'm quite inquisitive, and so looking into like all the medical kind of world and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed that. I liked gross things, I guess, yeah. at that time of my life. Yeah. Um, I actually was really into my physical fitness and thought I'd join as a PTI, which is a physical training instructor, into the okay. Air Force. But you can't actually join the Air Force as a PTI, you have to go in with a trade.
2: Oh, so, okay.
1: my goal was to go in with a trade and then change over but I never did because I loved being a medic so yeah. I joined the Air Force at um 18 years old mm. um as a medic actually it was two weeks before my 19th birthday Wow. Oh. um so yeah I have my 19th birthday as a recruit um mm. down at Woodburn. <laughs> 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 um yeah. So it was like, yeah, that became my family joining the yeah. Air Force. So R four ninety six.
0: Ninety six. Oh, so is that your is that your That's our recruit much?
1: course. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, okay. our recruit course is R four ninety six. So September ninety six we joined.
0: Wow. And then how 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 long how long was the journey like before you I guess got to like how long was the recruitment process? um or the training
1: i think it's a three-month course from memory so like september Mm -hmm. until christmas and then you get a break and then i went down to um burnham and did my jma which is your junior medical course yeah um and then i went back to ohakia and then i was sent down for my intermediate course um, so, as a medic, you train with Air Force, Army, and Navy. So, you all train together because you're a tri service, which okay. means that if the Army needed medics, I can go and work for them, or if the Navy needed medics, I can go and work with them.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. So, it just gives yeah. you more, more options, I guess.
1: Yeah. So, I got to spend time up at Philomel um, at the Navy Hospital as part of training. I got to spend time at Linton, um, Burnham, Ohakia. Yep. Woodburn. Yeah.
0: <laughs> did you did you ever leave the country to to serve or
1: yeah. Um, so I went to Malaysia, um, went over there with 75 Squadron. That was that was an amazing trip over there. Um, we lived in the Hyatt Regency for a few months yep. in the hotel. Um, and then I went to Bougainville. So um, not many people know where Bougainville is. It's a little island. Yeah. Um it's just off the solomon islands okay and so that was a peacekeeping mission for me
0: yeah
1: so I was over there uh, no december ninety nine mm-hmm. uh, november december ninety nine and then it rolled into january two thousand because we were there for the y two k oh yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah when when everyone thought that um you know we we're gonna World run going end i was gonna <laughs> cut out and i remember that time when everyone was like filling up like bottles for for africa and like storing them underneath their house and you know big bean cans and all that kind of stuff because the world was going to end and something was going to (laughs) happen
1: i was stuck on a little island where there's only eight kilometers of task hill road (laughs) and um hats and yeah On satellite telephones, Um, we didn't have Wi-Fi, nothing like that, (laughs) Um, but we all knew what was going on, Um, but yeah, that was where I got sick, Um, and that was where I got, yeah, I got started to get really sick Mm. when I was in Bougainville, Um, and things started to go downhill from there for me.
0: Yeah. So, so can we can we touch on like um, maybe like the days leading up to you getting sick, and then obviously talking about what when you actually started finding out what was actually going on? Yeah.
1: Um, I don't know. Yeah, the days leading up and everything. I was loving life over there. I loved my time in Bougainville. The Bougainvillean people are the most beautiful people I think I've ever met. They're welcoming. They bring you into the village. Um, I birthed. Um, I didn't birth. Sorry, <laughs> I delivered. I was going to say. <laughs> I delivered um, two babies over there. Um, oh, yeah. I did. Um, I helped with surgery in the, like yeah, out in the bush in a surgical team. We took out part of a guy's skull because he got hit on the head with a coconut never sit under a coconut tree <laughs> i've seen what happens um machete wounds gunshot wounds everything it was yeah it was an amazing time over there yeah um made lifetime friends from mm. the australian army um, lifetime friends from the new zealand military mm. yeah it was a great time
0: Yeah. And then, so, so when, when did, when did um, things start unraveling? Like, how did it all happen? Like, did it happen quick or, or what what was going Um, on?
1: I guess I knew something was up, but, so it was going to the bathroom, but you don't want to say anything to anyone. I was in an all male patrol team at different parts while I was over there. So I was in um, Surikatal and then I sent to Bowen. So when you're with all men, you don't actually want to say anything to anybody. You don't want to say, hey, look, this is wrong, or anything. It's, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's not the right thing to do kind of thing. Um, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: So then when I was sent to Loloho, um, I was sent back to the medical team. That's where our hospital was based at Lolaho, yeah. And I went and saw... Um, one of the doctors there, and he said, I need you on the first flight out to Townsville. So he did different tests for me and everything. So I was sent back to Townsville um, to the military hospital there, and they put me into hospital um, and then did different tests and different things like that, and I cried because that was my deployment over, and that's what you didn't want. So I actually begged them to let me go back to... um, Bougainville so I could finish my tour for me finishing the tour was something that I wanted to do Um, it was really special to me because my grandfather was there in World War 2 so that was my connection as well with going back there Um, so I was allowed to go back and finish my tour um, but I had to promise them that when I got back to New Zealand I had to come and see the doctors and then go after specialists so that's what I did
0: yeah. So were, during, during that time, like, were you in pain or like, or oh, yeah. were, were you just toughing it out? Like just to complete the talk? Um,
1: yep. Yep. I think from memory, I was probably living on painkillers a lot. Um. But also I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if it was stress related. I didn't know um, why my body was behaving this way or anything. So mm. yeah, I didn't. No, and I was only young. I was 20, 21? Yeah, yeah, that's young, yeah. eh? You have
0: no yeah. idea what's going on really, eh?
1: No, and you don't yeah. question anything. You just kind of go, oh, yeah, that's normal and it's not right to question anything. So yeah. you just, yeah, you just kind of tough it out and yet you shouldn't.
0: Yeah, and do do, do you think that uh, your environment that you're in, because you mentioned that you're in an all-male like squad or team, like do you think they' have played a huge factor in you um toughing toughing it out
1: massive role yeah. absolutely massive role in me toughing it out yeah. um, i I think back to the commanding officer that I had, I think back to the sig that I had, and yeah, um I was dealing with other things as well, being a, the only female yeah. um. As you can imagine, um, yeah, it was hard Mm. that being in that situation. I had males that I have lifetime friends now Mm. that stuck up for me and that were there for me and that I was able to talk to, but they weren't there with me the whole time.
0: Mm. Yeah. Wow, that's that's, that's unreal. And, I mean, like, can we just touch on that whole being the only female um, involved? Because, I mean, thinking now, like, nowadays, you know, there's probably a lot more females involved, you know, in the Navy and also in the military. Like, what, what was it like?
1: Um, I don't know if there's a lot more involved now. I okay. think there's a lot more awareness about mm-hmm. placing females into those situations yeah um i think now because of situations that we were placed into things have come out of them okay yeah Um, yeah that have been in the media and things like that and it still goes on today like yeah Yeah. the military is a great place don't get me wrong yeah um i love my time in the military but Mm. there are some things that I just brushed under the carpet, or you're just yeah. yeah. You shouldn't be in situations like that.
0: Yeah, and and I think uh, you know it's it's good that you bring that up because I know that uh, you know it's it's a similar kind of thing that happens in the police and, and other sort of sorts of industries that's uh, male dominated, um, mm-hmm. you know. And and I think that it's important. And you know, it's always that whole kind of. Um, sweeping it under the carpet, kind of um, mentality, and it's also the hierarchy, you know, like oh, yeah. you know, the, the yeah. old boys protecting the old boys, kind of thing, and um, you know, and and I think for me, like a, a good example of um, you know the floodgates opening is is looking back to when um, what happened in the Catholic Church. You know when when all of that started unraveling, you know, with the priests and and all that, or and all the young boys, and like they could have easily kept saying, "Oh no, nah, this is not happening." This is, but they eventually came out and they just owned it, you know. And yeah, it was sad, like and real, like traumatic time, like in the Catholic Church. But I think for the first time, like for like, a congregation or, you know, a massive organisation like that to come out and and front it, like, I think it was probably the best thing ever, you know, and, um, yeah, it's obviously got lifelong, like, damage now because of that. But they, they came out and they faced it because I mean I I hear about it all the time and you know, like you're saying, you, you you see it in the media, um in multiple industries and I think like mental health is the same as well. Like until we keep putting it out there and stop sweeping it under the carpet, it's not gonna get to, to a safe place where we we kinda want it. And uh yeah. I was I was kinda talking to someone today about how, you know, this one guy, he reached out to me uh, today after six months. So his wife initially made contact with me saying, oh, can I talk to her husband? Because she knew that he was struggling with depression and anxiety. And I kind of said to her, like, I don't really like reach out to people unless they want help you know, or, you know, because at the end of the day, like, I'm not qualified to take on other people's problems. You know, all I can do is um, share a story, you know, of um, what I've been through. And just like, like you are, you know, and hopefully that can create or flick a switch on for him to understand that, hey, it's totally okay what you're going through. Um, And there is there is a way out. And um, like just last week, he reached out. And this was after his wife initially reached out like six months ago. And uh, he said um, that he wanted to talk. And then it got me thinking. um, You know, I started thinking hard out about this guy's been sitting with these thoughts and feelings for the last six months. You know, like I couldn't even imagine like some of the places that he he would have went to, you know, and then it's taken him that long to reach out, you know, and and some people in a lot of instances, they don't have that long to wait or they don't have that patience or that desire to keep pushing through. And, and it kind of just made me like feel and think and understand about how mental health is and that it's 100% our responsibility to create the environment for people to reach out, you know, and say, hey, I'm not actually having a good time at the moment. So, I mean, anyways, that's a side note anyway. I just want to share that while I was there. (laughs) But it's
1: okay to not be okay? Yeah. Like that needs to be out there and, yeah, in society. It's okay to not be okay. Mm.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent, and and I think that's, you know, I, I guess another another point is that there's all these um, you know cliches and, and sayings just like that, you know, it's not weak to speak, and a lot of people don't actually understand the true meaning of that, you know, and yeah. and
2: yeah. and
0: I I think you know like like you were saying with your experience, you know, you you just toughed it out because you were in the environment where you just got to suck it up and carry on, you know, and, you know, and obviously um, your health was at risk at the same time, but because you were so, um, I guess, consumed in the environment, you just had to, you know, you had to, you had to fulfill that.
1: You do, and you learn to, I guess, focus on other things. Um anybody that knows me will tell you I look at myself last. Yeah. I focus on everybody else around me and I look at myself last. Mm. Um so yeah, being in that environment, I was more interested in looking after the locals, my team, making sure they were all good, everything else. Yeah. And then worry about myself last.
0: Yeah. Is is that because that made you feel good? Um
1: it's just, I think it's just who I am. It's yeah. something that I've just learned to do yeah. over time. I don't know, but yeah, I still do it today.
0: Yeah. The, the, the only reason why I ask is it's not a bad thing. It's, it's because like for me, like if I'm having a bad time, the quickest way for me to get out of it is to do things for others, which which I do all the time anyway. But yeah. I just know that lifting people up like makes me feel good, you know, and doing things for others, you know, makes me feel good to see their reaction. You know, that. Yeah, that yeah. that's why I was asking.
1: Uh, yeah. I don't think I, I don't know if I do it with concentrating on it or something, or I just
0: yeah, yeah. do it. Yeah. It's
1: just,
0: just it's the way you're, just yeah. the way you're built. Yeah. No, that's, that's, yeah. that's cool. And, you know, we definitely need more people, um, like yourself out there as well. So, so once you finished your, um, you completed your mission, so where, what what happened, what happened next?
1: So I, so I was based in Ohakia, um, which is just out of Palmerston North for those that don't know. (laughs) Um, so I came home. And progressively, I guess, got worse um, with being sick. So I had to go to the doctor because I promised them I would. Mm. And I was sent to specialists down in Wellington. I was sent to uh, gastroenterologists. I was sent to all sorts of specialists and everything to try and work out what was wrong with me. I had everything under the sun from bloods to colonoscopies to try this medication, let's see if this will work, try this one, let's see if this will work. I actually felt like a guinea pig. That's where I got to. Um, And then they diagnosed me with Crohn's disease. Mm. So they gave me a diagnosis. um, And with that diagnosis, I was then – so it took – so I was diagnosed, yeah, it was about an 18-month process process. of being diagnosed, trying different medications. I was on 18 tablets a day um, to try and get it under control and everything. And then it got to the point where, um, so I was downgraded medically once I was, because I was sick. So when you're downgraded, you're no longer able to deploy overseas. So you're no longer able to travel, can't go on any deployments, you're basically on um, base. And then I was called into the medical officer's um, room and told I was no longer um, able to be in the military because I had Crohn's disease. And so with Crohn's disease, you you can't be deployable. Yeah. They won't send you any missions or anything else. Yeah. So that broke my heart. Um, so I was medically discharged. Um, that was my career gone. So... Just after I was discharged, um, I was at home and it was about two o'clock in the morning and I made a phone call to a friend and I was rushed into Palmerston North Hospital. Um, I was that sick. Uh, just before that, they'd taken nine biopsies from, oh. the, from my large intestine, from my bowel, and it was that next night that yeah, I was really sick, like yeah, so sick. And I was rushed into in an ambulance into the hospital. And I remember the surgeon saying to me, "You have four days to get four hundred percent better, or I operate." And um, he operated the next day.
0: Wow, that's that's crazy. So, so for for those um, out there that don't know what Crohn's disease is, can you just give us a description of what all? Or on what, what it is.
1: Yeah. So Crohn's disease comes under the umbrella of um, 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 IBD, which is inflammatory bowel disease. So you, there's two types that fit under that umbrella. You've got Crohn's disease and colitis. Crohn's disease can affect you anywhere from the mouth right through the whole digestive tract. And what happens is your digestive tract will ulcerate and basically it eats through those different layers of your digestive tract. So my large intestine, and my large bowel was diseased so badly. Um, I didn't know at that stage how bad it was, but um, I saw my um, bowel once they removed it. And it looked like the ad from the smoker's lungs, like where it's all closed up and all ulcerated and just disgusting. <laughs>
2: um,
1: yeah so i had to have emergency surgery to save my life basically so they took out my whole large um, bowel because of crohn's disease wow
0: and do you know do you kind of know like um how many people in new zealand kind of have it or like how how do you get it or it's just
1: they don't know at this stage what causes it or how to cure it. There is no cure for it. There are different medications that are around now that can um, like keep it at bay, but yeah, you're never cured from it. You will always have it um, for Crohn's disease. Um, And there's different medications that are out now. They weren't around when I was sick. So um, September 11, 2001, as I remember that date quite vividly because the twin towers.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Falling. It's,
1: it's, yep. Yeah. So that's how I remember that day for surgery. um So yeah, it's not that long ago, but it is a while ago that I had it. um There, are, oh, I think there's something like, don't quote me on this, but there's some ridiculous number, like 20,000 people in New Zealand with, um, IBD or Crohn's or colitis um but there's over 7,000 ostomates in New Zealand yeah so because I had my whole large intestine removed I actually woke up with an ileostomy which is a external pouch on my body
0: wow like that that must like really um I don't know how you would put it. Like, that must really, like, kind of stuff you up, like, upstairs. Like, you, you go to sleep, you get told that you're getting operated on. Did you even know that that was going to happen? Like, you were going to wake up and that was going to be there? No.
1: Nope. Yeah. Nope. I was so sick. Um. I don't think they even had time to prep me. So, oh. no, it was an emergency surgery of either – I, yeah, either she dies or we save her life kind of thing. But did I, I – had, I had no idea what an ileostomy was. I had no idea what a colostomy was. I had no idea what this actually meant for me. Um, I lost – I think I was down to about 45 kilos. Um, so I was literally skin and bones. Um, and I woke up with like a zip. So I had staples from – um, yeah. The middle of my belly, all the way down. Um, yeah, I was open surgery um, to then have um, an ileostomy attached as well. So at 22, tw- 22, just before my 23rd birthday.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. and wow. Yeah. It, I used to love my stomach. Mm. I had abs. I had like... Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it does. It messes with you big mm. time.
0: So... So can can we talk about uh, like you know what's going through your mind? Like you wake up, you've got this this thing there that you have no idea what it's doing there. Like, what's the kind of like recovery process now? Like, what 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 happens from here?
1: Um, I wasn't given any counselling. Nothing else. It was literally a um you have to come back. I was too sick to have all of it removed. So I still had part of it remaining. So I had to have a second operation. So I knew that I was going to have to have another operation, but this was permanent. This was your new life. Um, I had a stoma nurse. Um, I remember her coming on oh, me going to see her. She. I don't think she came to my house. Um It's almost like you suppress all of your feelings, you suppress everything that happens at that time. Um, I know um, my partner at that time, he did some research, like just Googled stuff to find out what it was and what this meant and all that other stuff. Like, can you still have a relationship? What do you wear? Like what do you eat? All that yeah. kind of stuff. Like your everything changes.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: so yeah, I went home and I my career was destroyed, my body was destroyed. Um yeah, I yeah, had to pick myself up. Yeah. I, to, I remember crying on the bathroom floor one day and just crying and wishing the earth would just open up and swallow me
2: yeah
1: and it was that one day where I guess it was that self-talk and everything else where it was like if you don't pick yourself up nobody else is going to do this you have to pick yourself up and get on with this so I hid myself I hid I hid my body basically
0: yeah so
1: that nobody knew
0: yeah yeah, because cause I remember, um, you know, when I caught up with you and you were saying that, um, like, no one even knew until ages. like that.
1: Yeah, no one you knew until it. probably about, it'll be about five years ago when I started talking about it.
0: Far so. else. Who who, who who was the first person that um, discovered it or what, what made you, like, when was the first time you kind of…
1: My head my hairdresser at that time, Jean. Um, so this'll be, uh, yeah, it'll be maybe five, five, six years. It might be six years ago. Now her son, I was in at the hairdressers yeah. and she said to me, her son Mackay had been really sick. And I said, Oh, what's wrong with him, Jean? And she said, Oh, he's been diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And I sat there and I thought, You either have to speak now and tell her he's going to be okay or you say nothing. And I said to her, Jean, he'll be okay. And I remember her going, why? How would you know kind of thing? And I said, because Jean, I used to have Crohn's disease because that's how I used to say I used to say I used to have Crohn's disease.
2: Uh,
1: It was just my mental way of trying to deal with it. And then I started talking with Jean and I told her, and I said, Jean, I've had surgery and I've got an ileostomy now. I still get ulcers in my mouth and everything, but they're nothing to what I was living like. And it was Jean who, I guess, she was the start of my journey for now, for where I'm at now, to actually openly accept it and everything, to show her. Because if I could help one mum think that her son is going to be okay, then yeah it was worth telling her
0: wow that's that's giving me like goosebumps just <laughs> just just hearing that you know wow that's that's crazy and um what a what a um story you know and what a opportunity for you to um like almost like a platform for you to yeah. step up to you know and and like you're saying like you know you you've been hiding for that long and then you know the true test came when um you know someone that you i guess see probably on a regular how often we how long were you seeing the hairdresser for i was
1: probably seeing her probably every six weeks every kind of two three months kind of thing so i knew her and i knew her son was sick um but it was when he was diagnosed Mm -hmm. and then um yeah, it was. It was the platform to start talking and to start, um, yeah. And then Jean asked me to go to a camp yeah. um, that had just started up by CCNZ. And I went, no, nah, nah, no, not ready, not ready. I did all that, nah, nah, not ready. And then the next year it came up and she said, I really think you should because you're an amazing person. You have done all this. And I went, oh, okay, I'll apply. Well, I applied, I went, I was in on the committee and everything else. And so, yeah, it was, yeah, watching Mm -hmm. those kids um, grow and know that somebody else out there is like Mm -hmm. them, or if you have to have surgery, it's okay, Um, life isn't over, you can still Mm -hmm. do things and you can still be in a relationship and, yeah. And you can still hide it it doesn't have to be out there in this world and then that then went to ostomy new zealand and yeah it just kind of hasn't stopped now
0: that's awesome and would you say would you say that uh you know you know that first time initial time of of sharing that would you say that was the beginning of your healing process
1: No, because I think I'm still in that journey. Yep. Um, was it the beginning? It, it might have been a part of the beginning. It was probably a, trigger, a yeah. part of the healing to accept myself and yep. to accept that you have Crohn's disease, Kelly, you have an ileostomy, and it's okay to talk about it. Yeah. That part of, yeah, that part, yes, probably that would have been the start of my journey.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, the reason why, why I say that is because I know a lot of people, you know, that are in this space, you know, when when we do start speaking about things that we have been through, it's, I guess it's a constant reminder of how far we've come and, you know, how much we've, um, you know, battled through. And, but also reminding others that, you know, just because you come out, I guess, one end doesn't mean that there's going to be more challenges along the way. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you've, doesn't mean that you've succeeded. Like, yeah, you've, you're still here. And, uh, you know, you're appreciative of, of how far you've come, but at the same time, there's still bad days.
1: Yeah. Ah, yeah, there is absolutely. Um, like if I go back, so at the time when I had surgery, I was with a guy. Um, we had a house in Hampstead North. Um, so I had surgery. We, he went off to deployment. So I had to learn all on my own. I didn't know what I was going to do in life. I went and looked after a bar. I was working night shifts and studying and doing my teaching degree. Oh, wow, yeah. So I went back to uni because what else was I going to do? I had to pay a mortgage. I had to get on with life kind of thing. Mm. Um, So then I went back to uni, did my teaching degree, and then we moved, a job opportunity came up to Auckland for him, so 2004, moved up to Auckland. Um, I got married in 2005, um, and if I look back now, Um, I did it because I think I thought it was the right thing to do Um, Yeah, I remember when we got divorced I was told who's gonna love you, you're not normal Um, And I guess that was part of why I didn't talk about it because I didn't ever think I was normal I had this thing on the outside of my body Um, yeah that You didn't think you were normal yeah. But I still did everything else. Like, I went back, I finished my teaching degree, I got a job up here. My first school that I taught at, I loved, Calston Intermediate. Oh, <laughs> I, love
0: yeah. I love that. I love their school. I spoke at that school just recently, actually. I love their school. Yeah.
1: That was my first um, teaching. So, I was at wow. Calston Intermediate for four years.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: So um, cool. Yes. Yeah. none of those kids knew nothing like they didn't know the internal struggles that i had it was like um i used to get up and put a mask on every day for them to say that life was okay and life was good because i didn't want anybody seeing what was going on in the background kind of thing
0: Mm.
1: yeah you just get on with it
0: and so can we talk about um you getting on with it and did that work for you or what, what were some of the, cause I mean, I, I know for me getting on with it, like it, it just felt like, um, the more and more I did, the more I'd get like an ankle tap from the back and just fall over <laughs> because I wasn't dealing with
1: it. Yep. The world throws <laughs> things at us sometimes that you don't want. And, yeah. um, Sometimes I wonder, why have I not done things certain ways or things? But um, yeah, I used to just pick myself up, but the world yeah, you get to a certain point. Um, I know I did try and get on with things for a long time, um, which actually probably wasn't that long, because um, yeah, I struggled, I think, internally. I was outward. People thought everything was okay. But internally, my head was not good. Um, And I got to a place what I call rock bottom, um, where I tried to take my own life. I tried. Um, Again, back to hospital and an ambulance. Um, I went through that journey um, of trying to um, I guess heal. Um, my friends wrapped um, bubble wrap. I call it around me. Took me home. Moved me into their place. Um, they're my guardian angels as to why I'm still here and stuff. But was I? I was trying to get on with it, and I wasn't.
0: Yeah. And so. During, during, that, during that whole process, was there times where people would say things to you and, like, it was, like, literally the last thing you wanted to hear? Yeah. Yeah. Like, can, okay. can, you, yeah. can you touch on some Sorry. of that? Because people always say the um, dumbest things in those times.
1: Yeah. Um, it's more, oh, you'll be all right. It'll pass. Don't worry about it. Pick yourself up. Um, oh, my gosh, there's plenty more fish in the sea. Um, oh, if he doesn't love you, um, it's okay. He's not the right person. Oh. It was all those kind of things. And, oh, my God, what are you talking about? You're beautiful. Get on with it kind of thing. It's without knowing fully... What's going on in somebody's head? Yeah, I would have, yeah, I know that I'd have heaps. Yeah. Without sitting down fully with somebody to actually talk all out, mm. yeah, I guess I. it's just brushing the surface.
0: Yeah, 100%. And, like, if, if you were to go back and, you know, someone would say something to you that would make you feel like, actually, I can push through this what what would that be? What, will, what would be said? Just for people to understand what kind of things need to be said.
1: For me to push through it. Mm, yeah. Like, um, so I guess if I was to have a conversation with myself back then, yep. it would be, a, you know what? It's actually okay to be in this shit space.
2: Yeah.
1: Talk to me. Mm. Tell me everything that's going on. I can't solve it, but I can listen to you. But you need to get it out of your head because the voices in your head are just going to keep going round and round. Mm. So it's... um, yeah, I, when I do have conversations with young ones now, I tell them, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, this, Yeah, you'll have shit days. I'm not going to yeah. lie to you. Yeah, because um, yeah, you do. You literally yeah. will have shit days.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I think that's um, the biggest struggle now for young people is that they believe that adults are perfect, you know? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, they they think that, you know, adults don't make mistakes. And because I guess we spend so much time ordering them around and telling them rather than asking or, or listening to them, you know, I mean, I only get that feedback because, you know, I speak to kids every day, you know, up and down the country, and it's it's a common thread. And I guess, you know, like you were saying, like, it's it's bang on, like exactly what you're saying. And something that I always say to them is that they need to remember and understand that nobody has their shit together, even their teachers, even their parents, even all these people that they spend so much time with, like on a regular basis that are adults. And on top of that, like when I hear teachers um, or, or adults speaking to kids, like like kids or like a baby, you know, it's like kids hate that stuff. <laughs> they hate that voice, you know, that some adults put on, you know, when they're talking to kids, it's like, just talk to me like an adult or like a normal person.
1: Yeah, I mean, I used to say to some kids, some of the kids in my class, "Fake it till you make it." Like seriously, yeah. I used to. Yeah. <laughs> like, if some of my kids knew that, like I had not a clue what I was doing. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I did. I I used to have some cool conversations with the kids that I used to teach because I'm not teaching now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah, and my heart always goes out to the kids. Mm. Kids are a special place for me. But yeah, yeah, no, for some reason they do. They think, they put adults on a pedestal and think that you're this normal person. I'll never forget this time that I, when I was primary school teaching and a kid saw me in the supermarket and went, oh my God, she's in the supermarket. (laughs) I "I am normal. Like... (laughs) have to eat. <laughs> yeah, they do. They put you up yeah. on, like, yeah. They glorify adults yeah. sometimes. And adults yeah. shouldn't be glorified. We're normal.
0: Yeah. And, and I think a lot of that comes from, you know, like, I'll give you an example. Like, you know, parents will call me and they'll ask, and they'll say something like, oh, my, my kid's keeping secrets from me. You know? And I'll be like, so what? Like, have you... <laughs> Have you told your kid, like, every dirty little secret about your life, you know? (laughs) And um, they're like, oh, no, well, obviously not, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, how do you expect them to tell you things, um, little or big, if they they tell you, like, five things that happen in their day, like, four of them being good, one of them being bad, what's the one thing that you're going to focus on? You know, you're going to focus on that one thing. And if you can't handle that one thing, then how can you handle like something small, let alone something big, you know? And I think what a lot of parents or or adults don't understand is that when we make ourselves vulnerable to young people, they start realising that it's okay to not be okay. And on top of that, they know that, oh, shit, like, man, like, you know, look at where, what you've done. Like, you've done something worse than what I'm going through right now. You know, it's like, you know, kids are like, oh, I didn't know. You. I thought you were perfect, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's we, we create this, like, um, false um, world, you know, that they believe that we're living in. And so that every time they stuff up, they take it a lot harder now than obviously when we did.
1: Yeah, yeah, they do. I mean, I can think of when I was on camp with, I slept one night with the older girls because they were just being noisy and they were being naughty on camp. (laughs) And it was the best thing I ever did was go into that bunk room and sleep in the room because the conversation we had that night the girls didn't even know that I had an ileostomy and there were four other girls in that room that all had it. So we all just opened up and talked about it and they were like, oh my God. <laughs> and it was the best conversation ever because I came down off being an adult to somebody on their level. Mm. I had what they had. I have traveled that same journey or a similar journey to them. Um, yeah. Dealing with some of the struggles that you have to deal with and things like that. And then being able to say to them, when you're older, some of these challenges you'll face, yeah, they're real.
0: Yeah, that's that's crazy. You you would have been like a superhero to them, you know. Uh, because,
1: I wouldn't say that, but yeah. um, you you honestly, just, <laughs> know.
0: you know, because you you think like. Um, Like, I I see it all the time, like, you know, when I go into schools and um, kids see me coming in and they think that I'm going to be telling them, you know, this cool story about successes and, you know, some cool things about whatever, you know, whatever they got in their mind. And then straight away, you know, I open up and I talk about, you know, anxiety, depression and tell them my story and straight away, they're just like, you can just see on their face, they're just like, what the hell? Like. You know, because the kids would will, will have seen you too and they would have thought, oh, you know, like, you're perfect and nothing's going wrong. And then as soon as you drop that little, you know, that little bomb, they're like, no way, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yep, I know exactly what that's like. Cause, um, yeah, I spoke at New Plymouth Boys. Um, oh, a year ago now. Oh, over a year ago. Just over a year ago. Yeah, just before I did my big ride. And, yeah, same thing. They thought I was going in to talk about doing a cycle ride and everything else, and the minute I told them I was sick and all these other things and the questions that came out, and it was just such a cool time. Mm. Yeah. It's
0: amazing. That's, that's like, my favourite part is, like, Q&A, uh, you know, because you can tell, like, how much they want to connect, you know, and how much yeah. they want to know, you know, because – and it just shows you, like, how much they're hurting as well, you know, because, you know, whether, you know, you're you're going through the same illness or not, but the struggle is still there and they can connect with the struggle, you know. Yeah, and- or
1: they have friends that are going through it and so then they can say, oh, this is... I now have a little bit more knowledge so I can actually be there for my friend or I can be there as a mate and I can go, okay, I've got a little bit more understanding so I can have a little bit more empathy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So true. So can, can we talk about your um, recovery? So obviously we've learned about the struggle um, that you went through. What, what 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 did the recovery look like for you?
1: I'm still going through the recovery.
0: yeah. <laughs> Well during that time, yeah.
1: Um so my journey um yeah, there's still more to my story. more to yeah. my journey. So yeah. um so yeah, so two thousand and I have to think now. Um so yeah, got married, did the right thing, married for three years. Um I was with him for nine years. We were together. But we were married for three years in one day um, because, um, yeah, he told me he didn't want children with me. And that was probably my heart's desire was to be a mum. One of my biggest,
2: yeah,
1: I guess being a a girl, you grow up with this fantasy that that's what you're here on earth for. Um, So that burst my bubble. So I left, uh, went through all of that. Um, was not an easy task Hmm. Um, yeah met a guy he had two kids um, fell in love with the idea of being a mum that lasted all of not even a year Um, and that was when my heart broke was just thinking I was never going to be a Hmm. Um, (laughs)
2: mum
1: carried on Moved over to the North Shore, um, got into doing, I had to, so my journey after hitting rock bottom and trying to take my own life um, was to find myself again. I had to go through and find out who is Kalia, what is she like doing, um, and I still don't actually know the answer to that I know there are things that I do enjoy doing like I love playing my sport I love my photography I love painting I love all those creative things um, so I began to travel um, I was still teaching but I went back and thought I wanted to travel again so I traveled um back to Thailand um, right. I think I went back there three times went to Nui went to Raro did all the islands. There's something about the islands that I like. (laughs) So I keep going back. Um, And then, yeah, I got my diving certificate. Um, Now with an ileostomy or any type of ostomy, um, you're told there's three things that you can never do. One is never be an astronaut. Didn't care, didn't ever want to be an astronaut. Um, wear a bikini or or deep sea dive, and so that was something I always. I don't know. You set me a challenge, and I'll try and go. Yeah, okay. Let's see if we can. Um, so I went and got signed off by a navy diving doctor, and he told me, "Yep, you can dive. This is all you've got to do." So I have dived. I've I think I'm up to about 15 now. Different dives that I've done. Um, don't like diving in New Zealand it's not a nice place I come up almost blue because it's so cold yeah, yeah. Um, then um, 2016 I got sick again and didn't know what was going on back and forth to the doctors they thought it was my Crohn's coming back and everything else but um Instead, they actually said to me, I had to have a full hysterectomy and I'd never be a mum. Wow. Um, yeah, tough journey. Hmm. That was really tough. Just So I had to have surgery and have a full hysterectomy. Um, and it was because of my Crohn's disease. So they say that I was probably surgically, what you call surgically infertile. So because back when I was 22 and they operated in obviously under emergency situation, um, they don't think about your future and they don't yeah. think about those kind of things. And um, so, yeah, they're not, yeah, there's no evidence or anything that that's what happened. But my gynecologist said that it's, 95% that that's what it was.
0: Wow.
1: So um, wow. so now I just have everybody else's children, but I'm also blessed with two stepchildren. Yeah. Oh,
0: that's awesome.
1: Um, yeah. So they have probably been part of my healing journey for that because it's been part of this whole Crohn's disease, having surgery, living with an ileostomy, all of that. So I'm still... I guess, in the process of that.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, we honestly, um, you know, really appreciate you sharing that, you know, because I think it's I think it's so powerful in so many ways, like uh, not only your story but your journey and also the fact that you're still um, journeying through it. And I think the best thing about that um, to other people that are out there that are listening is that, they can understand that you don't have to get things perfect before you start talking about it or start trying to move forward. And because it's, it's kind of like that, like, I mean, like I talk to people all the time and I always try and encourage them to um, share and um, find a platform or an opportunity to share, or like I could be talking to a kid and they could be, they could have like Crohn's disease and the first thing I'll do is I'll be like, I know just the person for you to talk to, you know? And, and that's like, because I can't talk about that, you know, and I can't walk them through that journey. But the most powerful thing about your story and your journey is that even though you're still journeying through it, you're prepared to um, talk about it. And whereas a lot of people think that, they need to go and recover and get to this perfect place. And then, okay, I'm ready now, you know, and (laughs) that's, that's why I guess I keep harping on about, um, you know, it's not always going to be perfect and it never will be perfect. But the most important thing for young people, especially to understand that are listening and and now watching is that there's going to be good days, but there's definitely bad days. You
1: know, and yeah, it's... or it's um, a trigger. Like, there'll be something that triggers it. Like, I, I guess I still have not healed about the not being able to be a mum. I mean, I'm not, I'm nothing like what I used to be. But yeah. one of the most, one of the, I used to find a trigger would be always being asked, so how many kids have you got? Yeah and being able to answer truthfully honestly and go without hurting somebody without saying none or like oh when are you going to have them because the minute as a female I used to find as a female you're judged yeah how you look you're judged for how you're dressed you're judged for being a mother you're judged for not being a mother and because if you're not a mum oh, why not? And everything else. And yeah, so it's learning and it's teaching young females as well. Because somebody's not there, doesn't mean they don't want to. There might be something behind the story that you might trigger something to make them feel that way or something.
0: Mm. That's so true. That's so true. And um, because I guess society you know, teaches our young people, especially young females, um, you know, a lot of us is exterior, you know, like, like what you're saying, like how you dressed, how you look, um, you know, your hair and, you know, it's, (laughs) it's all those, those kind of things. And, and now, like, it's just on steroids now, you know, it's, it's labels, you know, like what clothing label you're wearing and all these things start to determine um you know and gives authority over our young people you know especially especially young females
1: yeah and (laughs) social media um i mean i look at social media in a positive and a negative light like i look at it and i think how many young females or how many young people are hiding behind it like it's really easy to post a photo and go have me a great day look at what i'm eating kind of thing and yet in their head it's a mess mm. and yeah social media has a massive part to play in that and go and not being able to talk not being able to communicate what's actually going on with them yeah,
2: yeah.
0: But there's
1: positives to it as well. Don't get me wrong. Yeah,
0: hundred percent. And I mean, there's a couple of examples I can think of. And and one, like I think I have more conversations with young people over text than I do in real life. You know, that that's one. (laughs) You know, I I said to this young young kid that I seen yesterday, and um, you know, sitting with his parents, and you know, we're talking and. And I said to him, hey, I'll communicate with you later because I know you're probably going to tell me more over text than right here, right now. And um, the other thing um, just fully slipped my mind. Um, but, But a lot of it, you know, in terms of social media is, you know, young people need to understand that they don't need to get their validation from likes or from, you know, the things that they try and do to get that satisfaction from others, you know, and yeah. and, a, and a lot of that I guess can be attributed to like, I know for, for young men, for example, um, as growing up, all you want to do is you just want to get that pat on the back from your old man to say that he's proud of you. And if you don't get that, like, You do exactly what I did. You go out to the world and you try and get it from everybody, you know, and all you're trying to do is you you just run amok trying to get approval from everybody to the point that you end up growing up with, like, rejection issues and um, you start having, like, problems with anxiety because – all you're thinking about now is you walk into a room, you're thinking about, oh, this person doesn't like me, this person doesn't like me, you know. But like you said before, you have no idea what's behind somebody's story. Like someone's face could be just fixed like that, you know. You, you yeah. don't know. They might just be happy, not looking happy, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it is so true.
0: And, and it's, a, it's a crazy journey for um, young people. And, um, you know, I, I think it's amazing, your, your story, and that's why I really wanted to get you on there um, to talk about it because I think, you know, starting from what, what made you um, come out and talk about it was a young person, you know, and then a lot of your journey now has been about around young people and yep. um, making them aware that look at what I can do with having this, and you got no idea what's still to come for you, you yeah. know, with, with this disease. And um, obviously, as um, you know, treatment gets advanced and, and all that kind of stuff in the next years to come. Like I, I think it's awesome, you know, and. Um, you know, I, I hope that, you know, we can keep you out there, you know, encouraging these young people. And and 20,000, that's a big number.
1: Yeah. Know. So my, like, I'm, I mean, I'm still an advocate for Crohn's disease and colitis, um, but there's a organization CCNZ who um, do the camp, camps for the children. So they do yeah. Camp Purple Live. So, but it's actually the ostomates that aren't spoken about a lot. Mm. Um, so once you've had surgery, and so you can end up with an ostomy. There's three types, I can tell you. There's an ileostomy, a urostomy, and a colostomy. Mm. And you can end up with one of those because of cancer, Crohn's or colitis, surgery, or you're or born um, so that you might need it. Some of them are being able to be reversed, but some are permanent. But there seems to be a stigma around it that it's an old people's thing. Like only old people have a colostomy. I mean, I'll ask you, do you know anyone that's got one?
0: I don't even know what it is.
1: (laughs) You do not know what it is?
0: No, no.
1: Okay. Do you want to know? Yeah. yeah, I want to know, yeah, <laughs> bring it on. Okay, so, yeah, so a colostomy comes from the colon, so that's from the large intestine, like the large okay. bowel. Um, an ileostomy comes from the small intestine, so it comes from the ileum. And mm. a ureostomy is actually to do with the kidneys, but it's connecting up to the small bowel. And what they do is they cut a part of, like, your stomach, and they pull... A bit through of like the bowel, so the a, col- a colostomy will have the colon pulled through, and an ileostomy has a small pull through, and they fold it back on itself and they stitch it to you, so you 're left with like a rosebud on the outside of your body, yeah. so you have to have an external pouch attached to you all the time
0: Jeez.
1: so that's how I go to the bathroom huh. so. As a 22, 23-year-old, waking up with that like a pouch, a lot of people call it a bag. I don't like that word because I don't, I don't know. It's just like I, I struggle with it mentally to go, yeah. oh, I've got a bag attached to me Yeah. because I have a handbag, I have a bread bag, I have a shopping bag. Like yeah. Yeah. I can be crass and I go, I have a shit bag. Like...
0: I can I can see what you mean now. Yeah.
1: So that's that is what it is. So for somebody as a young person to wake up with that, that was massive. That was life changing. Mm. Um. So now, that's where I'm at. So that no one else ever has to walk in those same shoes I did. Mm. You don't get counselling. You don't get anything. It doesn't just affect. that person who has the surgery it actually affects those around them Um, it affects the ones in your family it affects your extended family and things like that because they worry about you as a center person and yet you're trying to focus on yourself and yet they don't know how to help you they don't know what to do they don't know like, um, whether they have to say to the doctor, is it right? Like, um, is she leaking? Things like that. There's all those things that actually go with it. Mm. Um, And then I know, particularly for young girls, when I've spoken to them, um, what does my future look like? Am I going to meet a man? Am I going to have children? Mm. What does that look like? So, there's all those questions um, as, and a young man who goes, am I going to meet a girl? Is she going to accept me as I am? But I know there are more young people today that have an ostomy and people don't know what it is. No one talks about it. It's closed behind closed doors. And yet there are people out there who yeah, need to be educated about what it is. And yeah. it's not just an old person thing.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, I might fit into that category, but like, not yet.
0: <laughs> still time, eh? Still time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, still time. Still and a bit time. and I, I think that's a that's a pretty valid point there um, that you're saying about, you know, that it's not an old person thing. And you can imagine what they would do for a young person, you know, thinking that. You
1: know, or uh, thinking they're the only one in the world. I know that's what I used to think. I'm the only one. I didn't know anybody else that had this. I'd never yeah. met anybody. Um, my grandparents didn't have one. Um, the research you did, all the advertisements were old people. So all of a sudden, I felt like I was dumped into this world with old people.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so that's where... I guess it's trying to change that mindset and trying to change that. So that's why yeah, I'll happily go and talk to young people. I'll happily go and talk to families and into um, schools. Um, yeah. The kids that are teased and kids that are bullied Yeah,
2: because
1: of it, because there's no um, education about being unique.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. It's okay to be unique. Everybody's different. I just yeah. go to the bathroom a different way.
0: That's so true. That's so true and um, such a powerful message for, for young people. And and I think it's almost like, uh, you know, like I think back to when we started the journey of speaking in schools and we came up with the idea of, let's call the program, it's called kōrero. You know, and um, it's the same thing. You know, with with um, exactly what you're talking about is making it cool for kids to understand what it's about, so that you know if they do know that someone's got it, or someone that does have it feels empowered to tell others. You know, so that everyone rallies around each other, and you know, because we live in a world that, um, you know, especially for young people, I say to them all the time. It's easier to discourage than it is to encourage. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. it's and it's it's weird, you know, and I keep I keep saying to people like, why do you think it's so hard for people to take compliments? Because you know, we live in a country or like a world where if you accept a compliment, people are like, Oh, look man, this yeah. guy's got his head up his ass, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, look at this guy, you know, he's blah, blah, blah. It's like, why can't we get to a place where, you know, you get a compliment and you accept it and you say, you know what, that's true, you know, like an yeah. owner. You know, when can we get to a place um, where it's okay for me to say to someone that, there's something nice about them without it meaning something else. You know, yeah. like it's 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 crazy, you know, and um, you know, where some things that females can say to guys and there's no repercussions, but then if it was to happen on the other foot, it's like, you know, goes yeah. completely somewhere else. You know, it's like it's it's crazy, you know, just how how easy it is to discourage people. And how hard it is to encourage people, and and that's why, I guess you know, for people like us, you know, we're in the business of lifting people up, you know, and everywhere we go, that's what it's about, you know, and yeah. it's and that's why, like I always say to kids, um, you know, turn around to the person next to you and say something nice to them, and it's so hard, <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you turn around and you're like. Okay, well, I don't even like you, but you know, and but that's the world we live in, you know, like we can walk. I
1: think it is kids do it a lot easier than adults, yeah. Kids do it way easier than adults. I'll always remember, um, at the end of the year, um, I used to with my class, they'd write like on a piece of paper, put your name at the top, and then you have only show it, but you have to write one thing nice about each person and it's folded over. And yeah. at the end of the year that person is allowed to read that and take it home and it becomes a treasure. Every single person in the class has just said something nice about me. Look, kind of thing. But as an adult, we struggle.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Worse. Like Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, cool, cool teeth. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it's so hard, you know, and, um, I, I almost liken it to um, social media as well. Like, you know, like you could have all these followers on social media and then like you post something up or you see something. And it's, it's funny how like, like recently I started doing this thing where, cause like, I've got social media and, like, I'm not always on there. But when I do go on there, I, like, scroll down and I like every single post, you know. And, like, and I always think to myself, man, that wasn't hard. You know, that wasn't hard at all, you know. And yeah. and, and a lot of them, I'll, I'll comment on there, you know, like, 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 comment, you know, and, and I just keep thinking to myself, if it was me and I've got a comment, like, you know, and, and
1: it something, makes you feel-
0: yeah, you know, and I'm like, why wouldn't you want to give that to someone? Yeah, you know,
1: it's a nice thing to do, it's compliments, we don't compliment each other enough,
0: yeah, and, and but it's and, and, like
1: being the champion for somebody, like, yeah. for young people, when they achieve something amazing, like, yeah. like, congratulating them, giving them a good high five. It's yeah. Especially when it's a massive achievement for them to go through.
0: And, and celebrating that too, you know, cause
1: yeah.
0: um, I, I liken it to um, now when I watch um, schoolboy rugby or grassroots rugby and, oh, yeah. you know, they score a try and then they don't celebrate. It and I'm like, what are you doing? Like celebrate it, man. Like, you know, it's like, it's not humble if you celebrate. And I'm like, you just scored a try. Like, come on, you know, like celebrate.
1: Footballers well, do it better than rugby players.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like, it's a huge achievement, you know, and um, especially if you're someone that doesn't score tries much, like she's, I'll be doing backflips and everything. <laughs> you, know, you don't know when the next one's going to come. Jeez. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, moving, moving forward. So what, what's the journey for you now? Like, wh- where are things at for you now? What are you doing now? Like for, for work and all that.
1: Um, I'm a private investigator.
0: Oh, well. Wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're always like, yeah, always people go, Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So I left teaching. So I was teaching for 15 years, for no, yeah, 14, 14 years. Um, so I went back and studied. Um, it was when I got sick, um, so 2016. Um, yeah, I was moved into a year two class. And so I really struggled with having the babies. Yeah. Um, and knowing I wasn't ever going to be a mum. And just struggled with that mentally. It was... That was hard. That was really hard to think. And every single mum that would come into school, I used to think, I'm never going to be part of this club. Yeah. Um, and then a door opened for me. Um, and it was when I was um, on sick leave um, with my cousin, actually. And she said, hey, do you want to give a couple of files a go? I reckon you'd be pretty good at it. So I was like, "Hi, oh, yes, yeah, sweet as I can do this kind of in my time. Um, did a couple of files, and then we decided to um create a business and go full time and right. so I studied part time so yeah, four years later I'm um, love it <laughs>
0: that's that that's scary <laughs> <laughs> talking to a private investigator <laughs>
1: So, uh, what I predominantly do as an investigator is, um, I find people. <laughs> yeah. Um, generally, sometimes they don't want to be found, but that's yeah. a lot of what I do is finding people. Um, yeah, and I do other work. Um, not just all those files. I find out information for um people, and yeah. yeah.
0: That's so uh, cool. That's awesome. Hmm and um so are you still doing um that work with um the ccnz as well
1: so i um when i made the decision to be more of an advocate for ostomates because i learned ccnz was looking predominantly at children with ibd so they would they still have the camps and i decided i i was actually poached should we say um, they found out about my story so i was sent to australia for the great comeback great comebacks award wow. um, i was sent over there um, just to share my story um, and it was from there that my journey started with ostomy new zealand So I'm now the president of Auckland Ostomy Society. So I look after the Auckland Ostomy Society. So I've been trying to grow that with the young ones. Um, Then I'm also on the board of Ostomy New Zealand. And last year I cycled in the Tour of New Zealand, raising awareness and money for children to go to Camp Purple with CCNZ. So I cycled 630 (sighs) Ks. Um, yeah. um and it's taken me a year to recover from that because yeah it's that's a massive achievement for me yeah. um because there's a whole lot of things that go into it my nutrition my energy yeah. levels everything um because with Crohn's disease I get tired really easily I yeah. get ulcers in my mouth from stress um yeah I've my joints hurt um different things like that so yeah that was a massive achievement so that was last year's yeah so I've had a year off um so that's where I'm at now and I'm not quite sure (laughs) yeah what I'm going to do next kind of thing apart from just continue to try and raise the profile of ostomates and living with an ostomy
0: that's that's so cool and that, that's that's so powerful and I mean a couple of things before we, we wrap up. I mean if I kind of um, touched on it earlier but if if you were to um, say you know say something to yourself um, in a period of time where you were at your lowest that would pull you through like quicker or make you feel a lot better, what, what's something you would say?
2: Um,
1: I'd probably tell myself that I am loved. Mm. Yeah you are loved and you are special mm. and you are normal mm. and it'll be okay. Ouch, she got me there. Hopefully Danny can cut that one.
0: <laughs> that's that's so good. Oh I, I, it's 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 a question that I ask everybody, you know, and um the main reason why is you know, I when we started this podcast thing, like my main thing was I wanted people to understand the different levels of things that people go through. And on top of that, the things that people want to hear you know, um, when, when you are in a, in a tough spot, because like, I know for me, like I always hear people like parents, especially say like the stupidest things. And I'm like, why would you say that? You know, like that's, that's making me mad, you know, and I'm not even the kid, you know, (laughs) but, um, you know, I mean, and, and then the last thing is, is, you know, after everything that you've been through and you've gone through and, and, you know, you're still on the journey now, how do you look at people now? Or how do you see people? It's a pretty open question. Um, How do
2: I
1: see people? Um... I guess, uh, yeah, I've learned not to judge. I've learned through what I've been through um, not to judge people and get to know people for who they are. Um, Yeah, I've met some amazing people that will, yeah, have a disability or something else or have something that's hidden it's um we refer to it often as a hidden illness and i think i um like mental health goes into that because yeah. it's hidden people can't see it you can obviously see somebody that's like got a broken arm or something and go oh something's wrong with them mm. but or if they've got a limp or something you can physically see it but because like you can't see mine. So I look normal to somebody else.
2: Um,
1: So I've learnt not to judge people. Um, Yeah, and I wish other people didn't judge people. That's, I mean, I've learnt to look at people for who they are, not what they're wearing, not where they've come from or anything like that. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, I've I'm in tune with you, you know, like, uh, you know, look at people for exactly who they are, what they say and what they do, you know, more anything beyond that, you know, it's, I'm just getting into my wild imagination then, you know, (laughs) so um, I always take people for who they are and, and what they say. and, And I guess in this day and age, people say heaps of things. But not a lot. uh, Yeah,
1: it can be hard sometimes.
0: Yep, and and not a lot of people um, do a lot. And I guess um, you know something that I always encourage people is you know one don't cancel catch ups. You know, if you're gonna catch up with someone, make sure you you go. You know, you never know when somebody's trying to talk to you or. you know, just little things like that. And, and, and the second thing is just do what you say, Yeah. you know, because especially for young people, I know that um, once you don't turn up, it becomes an uphill battle, you know, yeah. to, to, to get their trust. and um,
1: It's about that, making them feel important too.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm. I think, um, yeah, making them feel important is one thing that i've learned is it's not about me it's actually about them and what it means to them
0: yeah that's so true that's so true um yeah like well you know i i've um you know really enjoyed um chatting to you again and um, even though I heard the story again, it, it, it still gives me goosebumps, you know, a, a lot of, um, you know, what what you talked about. And honestly, from from me and, and the team, like we truly appreciate you for, for sharing and, um, you know, making yourself vulnerable um, so that um, other people can, you know, understand like, you know, the journey that you've travelled, but, the fact that you're still going and you're still pushing through and, you know, you've been real about the struggles uh, makes it, you know, worthwhile and And I truly appreciate, um, you know, what what you've shared tonight and also um, what you continue to do for young people in, in our country. And, um, you know, please don't um, investigate me at any time. If you ever see my name come across your come across your desk just say you can't <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but um like I said I truly appreciate you and um and and what you've done and and what you're still yet to do so um all the best for 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 the future and I'm sure we'll be talking to you a lot more from moving forward as well because I think there's still hmm. heaps, heaps to share <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah it doesn't end yeah <laughs> thanks for having me I've no, okay. enjoyed it so hopefully Yeah, hopefully there are some people out there that can take something away from like, yeah, what we've talked about tonight and to know that they're not alone in this world. Um, And yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't always end. Um, Yeah, for some it does and sometimes others it keeps going. Um, But no, thanks for having me.
0: No, we, we truly appreciate it. And and once again, um, to anyone out there, if you have been triggered by any of um, the messages or anything that's come across this podcast, um, just a reminder that at the end of this podcast, there will be helplines um, that you can contact. Um, some of them are 24-7. Um, as well as that, you can contact myself, um, our team here. I'm hope, or um, if you do have any questions for Kalia, um, please just send it through to us. Or I'm pretty sure she'll be happy to answer them um, in in the near future. But um, until next time, um, take care, uh, look after yourself, and um, the key to life is hope. Um, be that hope. Ka kite.